Blog Talk Radio. I stroll through the pictures What I've left behind You once again I'm locked up in memories They all intertwine The memories living In my mind I know tomorrow Cause that dawn will come You will never know Just what you've done Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the NASCA Stop Child Abuse Now Blog Talk Radio Show. We are so happy to have you here, and we're so excited to introduce our guests here in in just a few minutes. But NASCA stands for the National Association of Adult Survivors of Child Abuse. And you can follow us and and listen to any of the um, past blog talk shows if you go on to their their website in naasca.com or dot org i'm sorry it's dot org um, and you can and you can go back to listen to any of these things but my name is kim lakin and i am a co-host this evening my host this evening is victoria and she's with us and our we're on scan number 3083 this evening And we have a single purpose here at NASCA, and that is to address issues related to childhood abuse and trauma, including sexual assault, violent or physical abuse, emotional trauma, and neglect, and we do so with only two goals. One, by educating the public, especially as it's related to helping society get over its taboo of discussing childhood sexual abuse, CSA, presenting facts showing child abuse to be a pandemic a worldwide problem that affects everyone. And two, by offering hope and healing through numerous paths, providing many services to adult survivors of child abuse and information for anyone interested in the many issues involving prevention, intervention, and recovery. And again, you can do that at nasca.com. And we are on um, scan number 3083 this evening. We'd love to have you call in and be a part of our panel if you would like to, if you have any questions for our guests. Um, and that guest call-in number is 646-595-2118. And um, you can call in and we'll just bring you on online to ask the questions. So our special guest this evening is Amy Anna Soto. And she's from California. She's a survivor of severe child abuse, rape, and stalking who concentrates on telling her story. As a public speaker, she's passionate about mental wellness and overcoming trauma. Her trauma includes severe abuse, physical and mental abuse, 
Growing up, the adults in her life were self-labeled sadists. Her world was a place of nightmares and terror, which turned darker when an abuser began to stalk and harass her. She spent the last 20 years reinventing herself, using various healing methods, including therapy, art, journaling, and writing, going to support groups both online and in person, dream work, art therapy, and more. Amy Anna also speaks out as a published poet, artist, and aspiring author. She has a background in nursing and mental wellness advocacy. Amy Anna is currently a trauma-informed somatic mindful guided imagery practitioner, the leader of the poetry, poetry group and arts and crafts group for survivors. And um, you can find more of her information at amyannasoto.com. And I am going to bring Amyanna on right now. I'm so excited to have her. And um, and then Victoria, you can go ahead and take over. So Amyanna, you are on the air. Welcome. Yeah, Thank welcome, Amyanna. And uh, yeah, you. like I said earlier, this is your show, and you could start where you like. You kind of you've been on before, so um, the first part, you know, we go. Uh, We've got um, one other panel member besides uh, besides Kim and I, and uh, her name is Val, and uh, we'll uh, get to Val in a little bit, but um, we usually like to break it down into um, three parts, um, like childhood, um, adolescence, and then um, or adulthood, and then uh, and then what you're doing now um, with with your healing journey and uh, the work you're doing. There's a lot, and we've got an hour and a half, so. Let's get started and turn it over to you. Thanks. Okay, great. Thank you guys for the warm welcome and having me on the show. I um well, I'll start from the beginning because that kind of leads up to everything else. Um, my mother was jealous that of me since since I was born. I was born of fluid in my lungs. And the medical team had to turn their attention away from her and help me. And since then, she was jealous of me. And also because it had been nine years since the baby was in the family, she got a lot of attention being pregnant. But once once I was born, everybody turned their attention to the baby and not so much her. So um, very, I guess, that's a trait of narcissism, and she's just really jealous of me since that time and did a lot of things um, later on in life to acting out on that jealousy. When I was about a toddler age, I was hit with the butt of a gun in the head that was being swung around military style that was kind of carelessly swung around in the house and I happened to come up behind it or there wasn't much room in the house so I'm not sure how it happened but I was hit in the head with the gun and knocked out um that happened I it came down on top of my head another time I was hit directly in the face the butt of the gun so a lot of carelessness and 
unstableness in the household. There was a lot of drug use, alcoholism, um, and just unstableness. My parents always fought. There was domestic violence, but my mom was the main dominant one that picked the fights and things. My dad was stronger, but um, she's the one who usually started it, and she wore the pants in the family. My dad was more passive, um, not to let him off the hook, because my dad did sexually abuse me probably since the time I was three, who I really don't know when, because I don't have memories from seven to 12, but at least from three to seven, I was sexually abused by him. And um, that was hard. Um, I I didn't have memories of it for the longest time until I was an adult and my dad. Um, and then it was, you know, when I was growing up, it was like, I couldn't say I was a virgin. It just seemed like a taboo topic to me. I couldn't say why I wasn't a virgin. And that really um, messed with me because it's like I couldn't remember why I wasn't, but it didn't seem like I was. And it was really like an embarrassing topic to me. Anything about um, even liking a boy at school it was like a secret that I had to keep hidden. It was, and kids would be like, "Well, why don't you tell them that you like them and stuff?" And I, and I was like, "No, I can't tell them." <laughs> mm-hmm. And stuff. So, the guys I liked at school, they never knew it, and and things. But um, that's, a, that's a very difficult beginning. I mean, um, when we're very young, like. All of our, uh, a lot of our stuff develops before we're five, our feelings about ourselves and everything else. And so, yeah, it, and all those patterns get locked in. Like you said, you just didn't know why, but I suffered that too. Um, not really knowing why, why I couldn't talk about things or things that I wasn't sure how I knew. <laughs> but. Yes, I was stumbling around in the dark for so long, and I I just want to say I'm sorry you can relate, but yeah, it's hard. I I hardly ever want anybody to relate uh, to to such a harsh childhood. It's just tough. My mom gave me um, there was. Um, a lot of unstableness and a lot of things to cause me to be unsure. Um, I would be, if I did something, I'd be rewarded for it and stuff. So if I did it again, then I'd be punished for it because, and it just left me a lot of mixed messages and kind of really stuck where I am. It's like, if I do this, I'm going to get in trouble. If I don't do it, I'm going to get in trouble. And my mom, as I grew up, had more of that. There's um, a dynamic of making me do things, but then preventing me from doing them. And that's kind of where I'm at today is 
looking at all the instances where I was well, I was told to do something or or made to do it, but then prevented from not doing it. Like I just kind of stumbled it on what I thought was just roughhousing and playing around with and stuff, but actually, in all the sense, it was attempted rape, or actually, it might have been rape by school kids that were my brother's friends. That they, my memory only goes up to a certain point, and then they stop. But there's no reason why they stopped or anything. Um, but one of them was if he was holding me down on the ground and saying, fight me or you like it, but I couldn't move or do anything. And that's been a really theme of my life of being held down toward to fight or toward to do something, but then being prevented from doing it, it really kept me stuck. And like I kind of internalized it as, my actions don't matter. My, but I can't affect the outcome, and my choices have no value because I can't can't do what they're telling me to do, and I can't do what I want to do. But mm-hmm. either way, I'm going to have consequences. Yeah, and those inconsistencies, like you were saying with parenting too, is can confuse the hell on you. Yeah, just it's very difficult. Yes, um, my mom more or less, I had twin brothers, twin younger brothers. Um, they're two years younger than me. And they, my mom put me in charge of them since the time they were born. And I more or less took that law very seriously. And I was, um, you know, I, growing up, I was, um, by the time I was 10, I was running the household and doing, and even doing the shopping with, um, I was making the list and going to the store and picking out stuff to get while either my stepdad or my mom took me to the store because they didn't know what was going on. And I even, she'd even send me to the store for things like, you know, like, well, like vegetables or meat or something. And one of the store clerks caught on and he asked me, you know, who are you buying this food for? And I remember saying, oh, it's for my family. And he's like, you're married? And I'm like, oh, no, it's for my brothers. And I had no idea that he was asking because it was such a odd thing for a child to be buying and picking out you know, on a regular basis, you know, like one or two times would be okay. But I was in there at the market regularly buying, like, you know, things that it wasn't candy bars and and things. It was it was food and yeah. <laughs> and things. So where, so, was you, where was your mom at the time when, like you said, you were taking care of your brothers? You know, I really don't know. She uh-huh. she was gone a lot of times. She was just gone. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of times she was working. She did um, at times work two jobs, and and things. But 
she molested. At that time, she only had one. <clears throat> excuse me, one job, and it was a summer job, and it was seasonal. You know, it's just in the summer, and I don't. Excuse me. I don't remember her being around a lot of the time. She just wasn't at home. And there's a lot of times she she would make me feel guilty. Well, me and my little brothers feel guilty for even being alive. She said if it wasn't for us, then, you know, she could be living the high life and being on cruises and traveling and things, but she was tied down with us with us kids, me and my brothers, and, and things sounds like you were tied down. Huh? It sounds like you were tied down with your brothers. I Not was. Her. I took that very seriously. And mm-hmm. when I was a teenager, um, I was actually babysitting for a couple, and they wanted me to move in with them and get me out of that situation. And... Mm-hmm. I, for one, was responsible enough to know that on the salary they paid me, I couldn't pay the rent and the bills with them on that salary. And I couldn't leave my little brothers with my mom because that would just be abandoning them with her, and I couldn't do that. And also I had a friend who ran away from home, and she wanted me to go with her. But, again, I couldn't leave. I couldn't leave my brothers. I was responsible for them. And like I said, it was something I took very seriously, and I couldn't leave them alone with my mom and things. And maybe it kept me out of trouble, but, you know, it could have made my life better, too, in some ways. I don't know. Um, So, um, and my mom really, I'm talking a lot about my mom because there's a lot of physical and mental abuse there that really messed with my mind. And besides her mixed messages, um, like when I was 10 and she'd go to everybody and ask them, you know, how are we going to get along without her while she's working over the summertime? And eventually it was, you know, I tell her, I got this, I'll help you. And, my younger brothers and her husband would say the same thing, you know, that, you know, we got this, we'll be okay. And then she took it as I was trying to take over the household and she told me she'd kill herself and just let me have everything and stuff. And for a child to hear that, for me to hear that as young as I was, that my mom's going to kill herself and it would be my fault. Carried a lot of guilt. It oh just yeah, carried a lot of guilt and a lot of you know. And I tried to be like the best I could to leave her stress and to to really you know just make things better for her so she wouldn't kill herself. And sounds um, like more of that jealousy you were talking about earlier that that might have been where it's coming from. That yeah. you, that you could run the house there and she could. Yes, I joined the house better than she could, so she, you know, whatever she felt, she wanted me to run the house. She made me do it. You mm-hmm. know, as a kid, I wanted to go out and play with the other kids, but mm-hmm. I messed around after school and stuff, but I had to get home. 
and cook dinner and do the chores and stuff. Um, so there's that. And my little brothers didn't appreciate it. They were, you know, they were little brothers. And as little brothers are without any parental guidance or anything, they 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 were little brothers. <laughs> Yeah. So it was tough. It was always two against one. And, like, just watching TV was a fight. I'd be in watching TV, and they'd come in and change the channel without saying anything. And then we'd fight, and whoever won the fight, and it would be a physical fight, and whoever won mm-hmm. that got to watch what they wanted. Mm-hmm. So I got to where I'd either stay up late or get up really early to watch TV and watch what I want. But it affected my schoolwork, and there's a lot of notes home from school. Um, when I found out when I was nine, my mom's boyfriend raped me, and that was right when he moved in with my mom's house, and she eventually married the guy, but um, I just found that out a couple of years ago that my mom told me that that I told her he had raped me, and she didn't believe me, so she didn't do anything about it. But now, now, mean at the time. now at 46, she wanted to she wanted to divorce him to protect me from it because she couldn't stand if it was true, and she stayed with him. And I told her, well, why didn't you do anything then? What's the point of doing anything now? I'm I'm out of that situation. I'm grown, and. And things, and she just, um, you know, she just tried to make it all about her again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, would you like to go to uh, questions? You you've yeah, given us a lot of information. Uh huh. Kim, would you like to ask her anything? Thanks, Victoria. Um, mm-hmm. Leanna, I am so sorry that you had to go through all of that. It just breaks my heart. I know all of us on here are pretty much survivors. I think that listen to this station are on here, but um, it still just breaks my heart when I hear an, another story of someone that was so abused as a child. It just, it just isn't right. <laughs> and I know I can relate a lot to, I had one younger brother, and I remember um, taking care of him quite a bit as well, too. And I didn't, and just like you, I didn't know where my mom was. And I, I try and think back, because I know my brother was still in diapers. I could remember changing his diaper, and so, and we were only two and a half years apart. So I, you know, I can really relate to that as well, because I just had that responsibility. And I tried to take him to church with me, and he would run up and down the halls and then go into the classroom. And, but um, but we had a, a good, you know, we had a good relationship, and, and that was good. That at least we had that relationship because he passed away a few years ago, kind of young. And um, but yeah, I was wondering how. So how old were your brothers? Twins, or they were? Yes, just, they were twins. And like you, they were oh, okay. two years younger than me. Oh, okay. Yeah. 
I mean, we were little tiny trying to take care of these guys. And you had two of them, so, oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, I'm just sorry. I... Okay. Thank you so much. Okay, let's let's go to Val. She's been on the line yeah. for a little while. Hello, Val. Oh, let me Hi. get the mic. Okay, there we go. <laughs> Hi, Val. Thanks for joining us. Do you have any questions or comments for Anna? Yeah, I'm um, just wondering, um, you know, I know you said you um, lost part of your mem- memory um, from the years. Well, first of all, I want to say I'm sorry that, you know, all that happened to you. Um, it's terrible, and I share a lot in common with you. But um, I was wondering um, if your family, especially your brothers, are able to fill you in on some of the years that you've lost a memory for. Yes, they have, and I'm saving that for the next part of the show. Okay. Uh, yes. Um, yeah, I don't want you to jump have, ahead of your story. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I have two older brothers, and one of them was good um, because one of them has a really good memory and remembered a lot of things. Um, you know, because he was there. He's 10 years older than me, and, you know, he – he was there and witnessed a lot of things. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm going to get into that in the next section. And um, did your mother know about all of the abuse, some of it, or what do you think she knew? She knew, um, just to jump ahead a little bit, my brother witnessed the sexual abuse between me and my dad and taught her, but she only got mad at him, did not mad at him for telling Mm-hmm. Uh, and things, and nothing came of it. She never asked any questions of how long or why or what. So it seems like she knew mm-hmm. already. And another thing she told me about that I had told her. Mm-hmm. And then later on as a teenager, she was the one who would take me on double dates with her boyfriends because the boyfriend had a friend and went off that way and left me alone with them and, and things. Well, my heart goes out to you. I'm really sorry that, um, you know, so much happened to you. And I'm, um, I'm going to, you know, sit back and listen to the rest of your story. All right. Thank you for calling in. Thank you for mm-hmm. listening. So I have Thank one question. So where were your older Where were your older brothers when um, uh, you were taking care of young younger brothers? And how much older were they? One was thirteen years older than me. The other one was ten years older than me. So um, they had their own issues with my mom and my parents. None of us. All of us were abused and in our own separate ways. And they had a lot going on with themselves, but they did try to take care of us the best they can. But again, they were children too, trying to take care of us. Yeah. They more than um, tried to take care of me and 
the little ones, but by the time we got of any age, they were, they got kicked out of the house. Let's see, the second oldest got kicked out at 15, and the other one got kicked out at 17. So they they were gone. They mm-hmm. There was no contact, really, with them. Um well, I'll let you get back to where you were at in the story instead of, yeah, kind of jumping, jumping around. Okay. Sorry about <laughs> yeah, I'll let you get back to it. Thank you. Okay, you're welcome. Okay, so I'll start off with the memory I had of my dad. Um, when I was about three or four years old, um, I, okay, when I was about three or four years old, my dad would get drunk and he would end up vomiting on himself or, um, yeah, as well as vomiting and and then he would um, usually come in my bedroom window because it's a side window and they, he wouldn't mess up um, if they had company over, people wouldn't see him and things. And one time I went in my room and he was coming in my window all naked. And I just remember saying, now now I can tell nothing happened. I remember that feeling of, I can tell because, you know, nothing had happened yet. So I went and told my mom and she got so mad and so embarrassed that I told in front of the guests that, um, my dad was coming in my window naked, but she didn't do anything about it um, other than get mad because it embarrassed her in front of her friends. Um, that was a big issue. Um, wow. He was doing that. Um, most of the time, when, I think when he got drunk, he didn't make it past my bed. Um, and all I know is I can't stand beer or vomit. It's just very repulsive to me, and I think mm-hmm. that's why. And the memories, and, yeah, the, the bad memories. And also, when I was about, oh, I was about seven or eight, there was a pedophile ring in the neighborhood, and some of the girls who were they were a little bit older than me. I was probably about five or six, and the girls were eight or nine, and they'd come over and play with me. And they they were talking sexual, and they knew what they were talking about. And, you know, people were telling my mom not to let them around me, not to let them, not to let me play with them at their house and things. But um, that... That didn't happen, of course. I, I remember playing with them a lot and going over their house. Um, my brother said the house is, as I remember, they had like an upstairs loft where only certain people can go up and there was a barn and things. Um, and there was a lot of guys that lived there um, or that stayed there. <clears throat> Um, I don't know what happened to them. They never did get caught to my memory. They just kind of moved on. Um, 
and think so there's more to that I'm just uncovering now. Um, I um when my mom okay, when we went to when I was a teenager and my mom would have me double date guys with her. Um there was um well first of all I was kinda of backtrack. Ever since I was a kid and like there was when I had a birthday party and there was a boy I liked and this was in grade school and things and my mother um I had a crush on this boy. I was probably in second or third grade and everybody knew I was going to kiss him at the party and I did and this other boy gave me books at the party he gave me books and my mom was so mad at me later because I should have gave the boy who gave me the better gift um, a kiss instead of the guy that I liked because you know kind of teaching me that um, to things for money. Um, okay. And, you know, since, since I was a child, she always taught me um, to do that. And let's see, as a teenager, I do think I was going that way of, well, my mom did more or less turn me out. She'd buy me the short skirts and the little cut tops and things and and stuff. Well, that it was kind of style then in the late 80s, 90s, but um, it just wasn't right for it and and things and um, so. I was really, as a teenager, really wanting attention. Nobody gave me attention except for the guys I, I, my mom double dated me with or with her boyfriend now who's her husband. She started touching on me and things. Um, I really don't know if the sexual abuse with him continued after nine I'm supposing it did, but I don't have any memory of it. And looking back, when that happened, my school grades also became affected. And the teacher was complaining a lot about concentration in class. I wasn't concentrating in class. I was below grade level. Um, things. I was a... It was a pattern with me. I'd start off the, each year below grade level, and then by the end of the year, I'd surpass the teacher's expectations and things. It was always surprising to them. But something about summer really threw, them, threw me off and just being home so much, I think, in that household without a break um, really affected my grades. Um, let's see. So I was double dating with my mom. 
and through her I met. Well, not through her. How old you were when you you uh, was it? So she basically set you up with men to go out with. Yes. I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but double dating (laughs) sounds kind of like a choice, and I don't think it was. No, it wasn't. She really turned me out and set me up with guys mm-hmm. who, um, at the same time, she was telling me how insignificant I was and how nobody would be interested in me and how I was nothing to them because I was too young and things. So it was that double message again. She was setting them up, setting me up. Mm-hmm. To I don't know mm-hmm. to to betray uh, yet tell mm-hmm. me I'm messy and that yeah. nobody would take me you know nobody would be serious or even like me mm-hmm. and so that was a big double message too that oh, really yeah. messed with my mind and really isolated me um, like I was saying I had no other attention besides those guys and besides from my mom's husband. Mm-hmm. And so was she I still said, married then when she was she was doing this setting you up and stuff? Yes, she still married yeah. the same guy. Oh, okay. Did he was he aware of all this that was going on? He was. He was mm-hmm. there, but he mm-hmm. he was more like a kid himself. She. She is younger than her oldest son, and mm. so she oh. met him when he was only 22, uh-huh. and she was 20 oh. years older than him, so he was basically a kid, too. Yeah. There's only two yeah. years between yeah. me and him, mm-hmm. so, you know, yeah, so basically she's a abuser of kids, and even her husband was a kid that she molest, dominated, and controlled. Mm-hmm. Um, but so. And how old were you when this uh, um, set up with other guys was going on? This happened when I was, it started when I was 12. I went to my first um, dance um, and come to find out. Now you said you have, no, you have no memories between what years again? Between 7 and 12. Okay, so between that, probably things are going on too that just, yeah. So you, you also yeah. said that you're still getting memories. And I think that happens with a lot of survivors and was that is that con- kind of confusing when that stuff comes back? Um, it's actually yeah. a little confusing. It's anymore. It's more like, oh, that's why I'm feeling this way. That's why I have a reaction to this. It's more of a piece of a puzzle. Connecting um, the dots and stuff. Yeah. Connecting the yeah. dots that's instead of seeing yeah. something that majorly throws me off. Uh-huh. My um, let me see. My brother filled me in on a lot of stuff. He um, now which brother? Is this? 
my second oldest brother, and he he confirmed that yes, I was sexually abused by my dad, because before that I only suspected. I didn't know. It felt right, but um, mm-hmm. you know how you go with denial back and forth when there's no proof. Yeah. And then through him, my dad said he couldn't face me, but he apologized and admitted to sexually abusing me and hitting me so many times um, through my brother. Did you feel that it was a real apology? I felt like it's a real apology. It more or less kind of ripped the Band-Aid off denial, though. Because by that time, I got to where I can put up denial and go on with my day and kind of put it like, this is on my head, you know, there's no change to it. You know, this is just what I'm thinking along those lines. But and when he, when it came straight from the horse's mouth, so to speak, it really um, took that away from me. And then I had to deal with it. And I wasn't ready for that. Um, no, I know when my memories came back, it just felt like I was just, my whole world was turning upside down. And I just had to try to figure everything out from, like you said, oh, that makes sense. No, that makes sense. And yes, that could uh, really throw you off. Yeah. And then what happened was about four years ago, my mom, for some reason, had a Thanksgiving dinner where I wasn't attending because she was there. I ended up, well, that's getting ahead of the story. I'll, I'll keep going on. So my mom, and I met a sexual predator through all these guys and all these situations that my mom put me up to. Um, but it was, he was nice, and he befriended me, and I never had so much attention. I didn't know what to do with it. He, um, he was intense, and there was a lot of red flags in the relationship that, I don't know you want to call it a relationship. It was more predator prey, but I was 14. He was over 24. Um and he called every day at seven o'clock on the dot. It was like you knew you knew what time the phone was gonna ring and you knew who it was. And it you know, it was just kind of I was a kid, I didn't have that much going on in my life to be talking for so long every day to somebody and plus that by that time because of my accent and because of so many other things, I I didn't really talk. I didn't talk about myself. I I was more or less kind of a loner. And the last thing I wanted to do is talk about myself and and be close to somebody. And so this guy just kept being my friend and eventually he ended up raping me and and things. Well, after, after that, she ended up stalking me. Um, 
well, let's see. How can I say this? He ended up raping me. Then he cut off the relationship. I didn't end it with him. He more or less said he had to move on or something and left. And I was like, great. Now I don't have to, you know, I don't have to deal with that situation anymore. And he, um, I went on and through um, the dances and stuff, I met, I met my husband who was six years older than me. I was 16. He was 21. But it was closer, and he was more – he's a good guy. He's more, He was more respectful and things, and we took things slow. Not like the other guys who just wanted, like, a one-night stand and things. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up marrying him. And when I married him and we moved into a house, that's when somehow – this predator found me and began stalking me and he did so for about 10 to 20 years off not really off and on but really on for about 10 years it was just constantly the phone would ring the cars driving by all kinds of things and I was in fear for my life yeah how old were you when you got married I was 18 when I got married. Okay. I was 18 when I got married. I was, um, I had my son when I was 18. I did all life milestones when I was 18. I graduated Mm -hmm. high school. I had my son. I got married. And then the next year we bought a house. So, like, I I just got it all over. And then what it was, was like, your mom's what was response? What, what was your mom's response when you started dating and got married? Well, she kicked me out of the house when I was pregnant. She didn't want me there anymore, and I was gonna. Really, I had three hundred dollars babysitting money, and being eighteen, I thought that was enough to get an abortion and get on the next bus out of town and just leave because. I didn't have anywhere to go. And my husband talked me out of it, and he's like, um, so I told him my plan, and he's like, so you're not going to give me a chance with you or to be a father or anything? And I'm like, really? You want this baby? And he's like, yeah. He's like, you can come live with me, and we'll figure it out and, and stuff. And so that's what I did, and it was good. It was a good two years with him. Well, about a year when I was 19, the circle found me, and it all went to hell. Um, and I just feel like my husband and son don't really know me because I've always been in despair and mm-hmm. really... Um, I don't want to say weak, but always fearful and not really sure of who I am. And yeah. I really think if if things had been different, if my mom didn't kick me out of the house, I mean, I could have gotten my feet better mm-hmm. and it could have been more of a mutual relationship than my husband being pitch charming, coming in, saving me. Um 
that well, I'm sure that stalker didn't that stalker didn't help any relationship either if you're in fear for your life. Um it, it, yeah, it's it's hard. it really caused yeah. me to put everything else on hold and put everything else on the back burner and just really mm-hmm. pay attention to what I was doing and where I was going and who I was doing it with to be safe. I didn't yeah. want a lot of friends. I, I didn't want friends because I didn't want to put them in danger mm. and things. But luckily my husband, which is a weird dynamic with us because I have all brothers. I'm the only sister. And my husband has all brothers and one sister wow. and things. So when we were helping his younger brothers get on their feet, they all moved in with us, and I felt there was strength in numbers and uh-huh. really liked, even though there was no privacy in the house, and that really affected me. But having a lot of people around me really helped feel safe. Um, from the soccer is like um go around he's not gonna do as much. And mm-hmm. I learned a lot through the stocking situation of you know, before it was um my husband's seen it as like an ex boyfriend coming around again and and things. He didn't understand the whole dynamic and I still don't think yeah. he does. Mm-hmm. But, well, can we take a uh, break, maybe? And uh, yeah. Kim, do you have any comments, questions? Then we'll go to Belle. Um, no, I guess I really don't. I'm just listening mm-hmm. right now. But okay. You wait, yeah, I'm sharing. Okay. Let me. Uh, Belle, are you still with us? Would you like to make yes, a question? Ah. Comment. Um. First of all, there are so many things wrong with the people in your story, um, but I'm not surprised because um, that's, you know, a big problem um, with child abuse. Um, you know, the, the, the neighbor who, um, you know, said, you know, don't let your daughter go to this person's house, you know, um, like it, it tells me they knew something was going on in that house, but yet no one did anything. And, and of course, your mom let you go there, which, um, you know, makes me wonder if, you know, your mom wasn't somehow complicit in it or maybe even, um, you, you know, you said there was a sex ring going on. Was your mom financially benefiting from you being abused in any way? Um yeah, I don't know for sure, but I wouldn't put her past it because it does seem like she, whatever she can get from me, she wanted to get. So I have, I don't, I can't confirm anything right now, but mm-hmm. I wouldn't put it past her if that's exactly what happened. Um, I wouldn't be surprised at all if that came about. Yeah, I think also the fact that, um, that, um, whenever she would be going out with a guy, um, just just having you along for another guy, she got something out of there. You know, regardless of whether there was money, whatever. There's there's still that, um, you know, using you. Yeah, it it, it yeah. all using her truck. Mm-hmm. It, it it all sounds um, 
part of some overall, you know, um, sexual exploitation, you know, whether it's financially or she was benefiting some other ways. It just, it's horrible. I also was wondering, you know, um, because, you know, like another situation where people just didn't react appropriately, um, you know, when your mother had guests and you said, you know, your father had come into your room nude and, you know, you talked about how your mother reacted, how did the guests react? You know, I don't know. They, um, I think she, she, my mom was pretty dominant and things, and I'm pretty sure they probably didn't do much of anything. Um, Because if they did, um, it was mostly drug parties and things, and they were probably all high. I'm sorry. My voice gets like this when I get emotional. Um, Yeah, I understand. (laughs) (laughs) And um, so they they might not even have heard me or known what's going on. Mm -hmm. Uh, And even if they did, they're not going to do anything to cause attention to themselves because what they were doing was was bad and illegal anyway. So, right. Wow. So were there drugs yeah. and alcohol involved with uh, with what was going on with you with with you personally? I'm sorry, Victoria, I didn't hear you. Oh, I said, was there any like drugs and alcohol that that um, that you had taken with all this going on? Yes, I when I was 13. Well, my mom had this magical age of 12 that you were an adult at 12 and could do drugs and drink at 12. Um, so I did do pot. On the, I didn't smoke it, though. It was edible on the, on the weekend mm-hmm. when I was 13. But um, that didn't last long because as soon as I found alcohol, that I liked alcohol a lot more, and that was my go-to from then on. And, and that was so, acceptable, acceptable by your parents, people around you? Yes, that was acceptable. They gave me alcohol, and my mom would give me alcohol mm. before she took me out. Um, okay. And it was just strange before I met the sexual predator that she did give me some strong alcohol. And the whole time she was telling me that um, as she's getting me ready before I met him, before we went out, that how I, at 14, was an old prude. I never give a guy a chance, and I needed a boyfriend, and I should, you know, think about giving a guy my phone number. Or And she's always telling me to smile and don't look so scared. She's always going, you always look so scared. I'm like, well, yeah, because I am. <laughs> yeah. Things. Well, you and said the one guy was a sexual predator, but it sounds like they all were. They all were. They, they all were. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Just the one guy was in my memory. Was a little bit nicer sexual predator. Huh? Yeah, because he's a nice sexual person. 
Yeah. Um, well, because yeah. he was more focused on, I guess, on me, on dragging things out longer. Of, mm-hmm. It wasn't just one sexual encounter. It, mm-hmm. um, we talked a lot on the phone. Well, he talked a lot at me and and things on the phone. And really, you know, really messed with my head that it was a relationship when really it wasn't. Mm-hmm. I want to quick just uh, intervene here and that a guest call number I'd like to uh, speak uh, or ask questions of uh, Amy Anna. Um, you can call in at 646-595-2118, and we are on number 3083. And uh, we invite every, anybody that's listening to call in and uh, be on the panel. And uh, um, it's also uh, nasca.org. That's N-A-A-S-C-A.org. We have a lot of information on there, um, not only for adult survivors of child abuse, on uh, parenting and information for um, people that are working with survivors of abuse, both children and adults. And uh, we really hope that people can uh, visit the website because there is a lot of information on there um, for, for people to look at. And if you'd like to get involved with NASCA, um, we're a nonprofit organization and rely solely on uh, donations. We don't get any kind of funding from any other like grants or agencies or anything like that. And uh, so you can um, uh, go on the website to find out more information about helping us out with our work. And uh, let's get back to Emanis three. And we've got um, a half an hour left. Um, wherever you want to go from here is great. Thank you. Okay. Well, I did leave out some parts about my father after my parents got divorced when I was seven. Mm-hmm. Um, and before that, when the when my little brothers were born, um, he said the older brothers were in school and my mom was busy with the trend, so he would take off with me for days. And as of right now, nobody knows where we went or what we did, but we'd be gone for for a long time, just me and him. Um, that what I ages have, was that? What ages was um, that? That would be from ages probably two to seven. Mm-hmm. And she likes to go fishing a lot, and one memory I have is when we went out, um, we went to a different city and we visited a friend of his mom's, my grandma. And it was me and my little brothers. And I guess we were, I was about 12. They were about 11, I guess. We, you know, we're, we we were not really teenagers yet, but we went out and and visited this this lady, this friend of my grandma's, and then we went um, under this bridge that had a huge river in it and spent the night fishing. And I think we spent a couple of days there. 
Well, the grandma's friend thought that we would come back at night, spend the night with her because, you know, he had kids and, you know, to be gone that long over time, you know, where, where did we go and if we were safe? And she ended up calling the, the cops out um, to look for us because she didn't know what happened to us. And um, all I remember is I had to go pee the whole time. <clears throat> and I, <clears throat> oh, I'm sorry. And I was too scared to go. I didn't want to pull my cats down and there was no bathroom. So I just had to hoard it the whole time. <laughs> and um, finally, I remember a policeman shining his light down under the bridge and saying, are you you know, are you so-and-so? You know, we've been looking for you. They found the car by the bridge and started looking at, at the river and stuff and found us. And and things. But we'd go under a lot of bridges. Um, one was a homeless camp that we'd often go down. And it was very scary. And... Just a lot of things that Jerry, a lot of places that were secluded out in the wilderness. Um, a lot of times it just be me and him. And um, and things. I really don't know what happened. Um, I don't have those memories yet. I just know that he took me out alone a lot. And um, you know, who knows what happened then. Um, yeah. Then, but also, my mom and dad hit me in the head a lot, and I had quite a few black eyes, which I just found out about um, not too long ago that I was remember having one black eye, and my older brother confirmed that I had quite a few growing up that Either my parents did or my mom's cousin with the gun did or and things. We're going um, to school with we're going to school with these bruises touring with anything any kind of intervention done in school or anything? The school never did anything and I have no idea mm-hmm. if I went to school with a black eye or not. Mm-hmm. Um I was covered in bruises the whole time, all over my arms and legs and <clears throat> and things um, and torso and uh, especially when I was a teenager I, I was um, it's when my little brothers and their friends were enough leaving bruises you know they're getting older and stronger to be hitting and leaving bruises and I remember feeling bad because um, it's a funny thing to feel bad about, but when I was raped, I I had a bruise from from one of my little brother's friends, and I felt bad that I had a bruise from another guy while I was with that guy. And that was my Mm -hmm. mindset as a kid going through that. Mm -hmm. that, Yeah, um, very confusing. I was more or less confused and alone, and 
Um, a lot of things happened to keep me that way and keep me controlled. And, right. and um, my mom. So when did when did you um, when did you start um, when did you realize that um, that you could get help for for what you had gone through? Or how did that happen? I didn't realize I could get help. Well, I tried to get help um, one time in high school. I Things with my mom were so bad by that time. She was extremely jealous of me and was very mean. And she'd wake me up by yelling and and just not talk to me for days. And she'd hit me, yell, and then not talk to me. And so I don't remember what all brought it on, but I had this idea of writing a school paper, like an essay. Um, it was a fake essay, and I'm intentionally made mistakes and I graded it like a teacher would grade it and then I gave it to my mom and I don't remember what happened after that. I know she was so mad. She was just so raging mad. Um, I went to the school counselor and we tried to have a counseling session and my mom the whole time just went on and on about how much I was a liar and and all these really bad things about me and how I was a drama queen and and none of it was true. I was lying and stuff. And all I did was cry the whole time. And that was the first and last time I asked for help at mm. school. Yeah. Um, of course. Weren't they helped? I wasn't getting help and my mom was so sad about it. Um, yeah. I didn't get into therapy or anything until so when my mom kicked me out of the house when I was pregnant at 18. I I was away from her for about a year, two years. And then I tried to live back in my life, but she was just so controlling and trying to mess my me and my husband's relationship and just everything. Um, she she did crazy stuff like back before cell phones, everybody had a beeper, and her husband had a beeper for work. But she would call it and leave my phone number. It so he'd call me and say, You know, why'd you call me? And I'm like, You know, I didn't call you. And then we knew it was my mom. And my mom would even say, Yeah, I call him and leave your phone number. I'm like, Why are you doing that? Knock it off. But she wouldn't do it. She just kept on. And then she'd like try to confront me as like something was going on between me and our husband still. And and things, so I I ended up cutting all contact with her for eight years. Just nothing, no phone calls, no 
nothing for eight years. And in that eight years, I ended up having a miscarriage. I ended up becoming extremely suicidal. And I I was also drinking a lot. Then I was kind of like, as they say, running from everything. I was working two jobs and volunteering at my son's school at the same time. And if I did have a day off, I was drinking. And so I was, I don't know how I did it. I was busy. <laughs> and so when when the miscarriage hit, it changed my body's chemistry and everything just got super, it just stopped everything. I got super depressed. I quit my job. And I basically couldn't do anything. And finally, I I didn't want my life anymore. My husband caught me um, and caught me in a suicide attempt. And he's like, I can't do this anymore. Either you're going to get help or, I'm, you know, I'm going to have you committed or something has to change. And she, she didn't know what I'd what he was going to come home to after work. I could be really drunk. I could be scared and crying. I could be really mad and tear up the whole house. Um, he, you know, it's like a new thing every time he came home. He didn't know what kind of mood I'd be in or what. And stuff. It's funny. He said he couldn't do it anymore. And so I got into therapy. And I still wasn't talking I didn't want to talk about myself, but I knew I needed help. I knew I had to talk about, you know, trying to end the stalking situation because I didn't know how to end it. Mm. How um, many years ago was this then? How or how old were you? I was 26 when all this happened. So the stalker was. From 19 to 26, it was more like on for first. Yeah. And then I got to therapy, and by then, the anxiety and the depression were so big, I, I couldn't even talk. First session, the therapist goes, I know, I know you need help. There's something bothering you. I don't know, you know, I don't know what it is. You know, we're going to have to try something else. Can you write what you want to tell me? You know, we're going to try a different way. Write what you want to tell me, and maybe I can find out that way what's going on with you. And so I did, and that's what started me writing, and I haven't stopped since, just writing and writing, um, one thing I didn't touch on were the nightmares and just the nightmares were horrible um, with everything. It, they were, at first, I always thought my mind trying to memorize stuff and saying, you know, you don't have it that this and give the nightmare. And then now that I studied trauma and how the mind works and everything, like your mind doesn't traumatize you that way. It doesn't make 
it doesn't turn things worse to <laughs> it it doesn't do that and um and so did things, you realize so they were I, actually they were actually your memories then I did find out most of them most of my nightmares did correlate or parallel with my life and the thoughts and the feelings and the intensity of them. It wasn't like the exact actions, but right. in the feelings of the hopelessness, the helplessness, the pain, it was mm-hmm. the emotional pain, I'll say, um, parallel to the dream. And some of them were actual memories because I found out um, later on in life that I had severe sleep apnea where I wasn't getting the REM sleep and um, finding out that, you know, some dreams hit as soon as I closed my eyes, they were more um, flashbacks than than dreams. Right, right. And it's hard sometimes to distinguish between the two. Yeah. Yeah, and that took a lot of adjusting because some of these, I never wanted any part of them to be true. And then to find out there's more truth in them, either feeling-wise or actual things, um, it, it was hard to deal with. I'm still dealing with it, but it's getting a lot better now. Um, and let's see what else. So now, let's see, we only got a couple minutes left. So now I, um, through therapy and things, I got into advocacy through um, an art gallery that was a mental health hub that gave resources for mental health and really it was just not really a drop-in center, but the focus was on art. So the premise was if you, like if you're in a depression group and you get better, they really, you know, it's time to graduate out of the group because you're not depressed anymore and you can move on with life. But yeah. what they were finding out was, in, in the group, you had support, you had friends, and that's why you weren't depressed anymore because you had something to look forward to each week or every other week. And, you know, you had supported friends, and then once you're with it, out of it, then it, people were wanting to stay depressed or stay depressed to stay with the group. Yeah, so what this organization did was make the focus on artwork even mm-hmm. though they they were on mental health, they focused on artwork. So no matter where you were in your healing, you could stay there and do artwork and have the support and have the contacts and the friendships that you needed. And that worked out really wonderfully. And that's where I was able to become a public speaker. And I started running groups. Then um, I started off with the poetry group. Um, that so was is that really fun. Is that where you started sharing your story? Then is that how that came about? 
Yes, I started sharing my story. Um, They had a program. And through the program, I was able to start telling my story and about my mental health because I have depression and multiple personalities um, about about how it affected me and things. And I got up to where I was telling um, college psychology classes and psychology groups about how I, what led up to my diagnosis, the, the trauma that led up to the diagnosis and why the diagnosis came about and how I function with this diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And I want you to also um, say your statement about when people say, you know, um, I became stronger because of my abuse or if I hadn't been abused, um, I wouldn't be strong like I am. I would be speaking out. We've talked about this. Okay. Yeah. That one thing I I don't like, and it was the one about I'm grateful for everything that happened to me because it made me who I am. And I always say, um, You know, it happened, I survived, but I'm not grateful that it happened. I I think I could have been so much more than what I am if I didn't have all this trauma, if I didn't have to go through all this trauma and abuse and start my life over at 26 from grow one, learning how to talk and interact with people. I think I could have been something so much more and better than what I am today. But it is what it is. And, you know, I've been reinventing my life for a long time. And, you know, each time it's getting better. And I'm now at a good place. My memories don't throw me off course. And... Because I know we talked about too about um, um, we're not stronger because of our abuser. We're I don't know how you put it something about I made myself stronger. I can't remember exactly how you said it, but yeah, that was um, my abuse didn't make me stronger. I taught myself how to survive. My abuse didn't teach me anything. I taught myself how to survive. Was it that one? Something, yeah, similar to that. And you said, I made myself strong. And I'm strong because, you know, you're the one that did that. It didn't, yeah. Yes. I was the one who, that was a poem. Uh Okay. Yeah. Let me see if I can bring it up. Um. And stuff. So I, um, to the panel or anything before? Yeah, yeah. Why don't we uh, quick go, uh, Kim, and then uh, then Val. I'll turn both your mics on. Uh, Kim, would you like to comment or have any questions? Um, well, I guess I don't really have any questions. Thank you, Amy Ann, mm-hmm. so for for being here tonight and sharing your story. And um, you'll have to tell us 
how we can get a hold of you if you're on Facebook and, and other places. Just let us know what you're where you're at that we can find you. Yeah, Amy Anna Anna is also a fantastic artist and uh, writer. And uh, um, what's the name of the book that you got your phone in again? Is it Um, Hushmore? It is called. um, Oh, I'm sorry. Was it Hushmore? I think it's Hushmore. Yeah. And you can find that at org, I think. It has Mm -hmm. two of my poems. And okay, I found this poem. I think we have time. Let me click go to Bell and ask Bell if you have any questions or comments. Uh, First of all, I want to thank you for telling your story because I know it's you know hard to tell your story, um, and and no matter how many times you tell it, um, you you still have to you know relive so much um, of the trauma. So thank you for um, doing that. So others can um, benefit. Um, and I also want to thank you for saying that we're not better for our abuse. You know, because I hear that so much and it makes me, you know, kind of angry that people think that they're better because of their abuse. No, you survived your abuse and, you know, you thrived and you're resilient. But um, it's not because of the abuse. Like you said, it, it's because, you know, you... Um, you're either resilient or, or, you know, whatever it takes to be a better person taught you. Yes, exactly. And thank you for resonating with me on that because um, it is a common saying, but to think about it, it's, it's really kind of, what do you call it? Minimizing mm-hmm. and things. Um it's not, I don't know. I'm just not. I don't yeah, I'm not comfortable with that either. No, I'm, I'm very not comfortable with that. Yeah. I, I think yeah, it's the I wrong message out there. Sorry. You know, and I hear people say, well, if you hadn't been abused, you couldn't help other people. And I said, I'd like to believe that. My soul would be helping other people whether I was abused or not. <laughs> it's just my soul, you know. Okay. Anna, she's got uh, a poem I think you found that, that you could share. Yes. It has a poem okay. of what you were talking about in it. Right. And right. So I'll okay. read this. I think we have just enough time. So this poem yeah, we is do. called What And it's about being... Um, it's about writing and and those types of, you know, I'm glad it made me stronger and things. So this is my response to that. So this is the poem, What I Know. You have to be grateful, they tell me. Your experience made you who you are today. Write something inspiring if you're going to write about rape. I answer, but isn't the first rule of writing, write what you know. I write poems on my life. I write about my first, second, and third rapes. When I was 14, I was so alone. Poetry helped me through the confusion. No, my mother says, you didn't count that time when you were nine. I must have blocked it out. My mother adds, or that time when you were four. What sick freak rapes a child at four? 
This I know, this all I know. I'm a fighter and survivor, but there is nothing inspirational about rape. I write to expose those people and their ways. Rape should be talked about, exploited for what it is, and that's the power of control and violence. I'm not grateful it happened. I could have been so much better without the experience. The suicidal aftermath, the disrupted sleep, the nightmares and flashbacks, the constant hypervigilance, and trying to live ignoring the fear of it happening again because for me, apparently, it does. Rape me who I am today. I chose to take another breath. I chose to hold on a bit longer. I chose to spend the time to reinvent my life. I chose to make it worth living. I did that, me. Rape is not inspiring. It only took from me. Again, under pressure, I almost gave thanks for its lessons that no one should ever have to learn. Rape didn't teach me anything. I taught myself to survive, and I will write about it however I like. And that's it. Thank you for that. Um, I don't. I don't know. I lost. I lost Kim somewhere. <laughs> I don't know. I hope we're I hope we're still on. I think we are. Um anyway, um yeah, I really appreciate that. And uh if uh people want um to rewatch this or share it, it's uh scan number three zero eight three. And uh we still have three minutes left. So is there anything uh I wanna also notice uh recognize that um um you're on Facebook. Um, Amyana, all one word, uh, Soto, for your name. And then you also have Soto Creations, which is um, where your art is Facebook. as well. Right? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also, and, it's a page on Facebook, uh, Soto Creations. Mm-hmm. And also, I have a website for my new business, um, AnnaSoto.com. That's A-M-Y-A-N-N-A, Soto, S-O-T-O, dot com. And there's more um, about me, and you can, there's a form there you can t- contact me through there if you can't find me on Facebook. Okay, and you're doing uh, trauma-informed, um, somatic, mindful, guided imagery, right? Yes. And you're a practitioner on that. Okay, so we've got that on uh the description of the show, and people can go back to the description on the show as well. Um, so we've got a minute left. Do you have any last words for us or anybody that's still struggling and maybe even hasn't, you know, got therapy or, um, you know, just feels um, alone and, and scared like you were talking about? I just want to say there's so many people I can relate to you. And if you can find a book, and think about it in a way that somebody feels the same way you do, and it's enough to write a book and publish it about about this way that you are feeling. It's that much. That's how not alone you are. Somebody published a book, and people are buying this book. So you are not alone. 
there, there is help out there. There are good people out there. I found good people on the Internet that helped me through my suicidal um, phase. Not the people I knew, not the friends in person I knew, definitely not my family, but mm-hmm. I knew some surprising ways that that can help you the most. And so keep looking, keep having hope. Well, we got 23 seconds, and I just want to okay. say that NASCA also has a private support group for survivors and also a community group for those interested in finding out more information. And please post on it. And even if you don't want to post your story or anything, read the, read the other stories because you will, as Amy Anna said, find other people who can relate. 